0: Welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Press Row. Jonah Siegel here in Seattle on a Sunday, Friday afternoon. And really thrilled to be joined today by Howard David, longtime NFL broadcaster, uh, radio host, now podcast host. Looks like it's sunny there in New Jersey today, which is a good thing. Howard, how are you?
1: Yeah, it's good. It's um, unseasonably warm. We're about 64 degrees. It's all good. Uh, it- but the weather here changes every single day
0: Now, i went to school up in vermont and uh, they used to say if you don't like the weather in vermont just wait a minute so (laughs) yeah i know the feeling um so you have a really really fascinating background you you, you've been in sports for a long time and and i see that uh you're you're in the air force our side thankfully (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, your side, not my side. I don't think my side has an Air Force. Yeah,
1: no, no. Uh, uh, I had, um, before I went into the service, I was uh, going to school at night and working during the day for in advertising. And I thought that's what I was going to do long term. And then a friend of mine called me. He said, you're going to be drafted in about three to four months. And this was during Vietnam. I said, uh-huh. Talked it over with my wife. Uh, I said, I don't want to go in the Army. I feel like I'm going to waste my time. I'll go there for two years, and what am I going to come out with? So I decided, after much thought, to enlist in the Air Force, even though it was four years. And while I was there, I had an advertising background, so they gave me a job commensurate with my skills. I drove a truck. And so, um, uh, that was a good line. You missed it, Jonah. Come on. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> it's a really good
0: line. I'm just trying to let you go here.
1: All right. So <laughs> I, uh, while I was working uh, for the uh, communications office, I get to meet a guy, a master sergeant who was in charge of the base information office, which included the base newspaper, uh, tours of the base, wing history and a variety of things and he said what's your background i said advertising He goes, you need to be working here not where you are and i said okay so he says well you got to take a test if you pass the test and we have a slot i can train i can cross train you and bring you right in so i passed the test and there were two guys that had to take a test that were in his office they both failed so it opened up two slots i took one and while i was working there uh, i was also writing i was writing a sports column and, which was kind of fun um and then I get a- In the Air Force? If it, in the Air Force. It was like a sports column It was a base newspaper.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: And we had um, a flag football games on the base and base softball games. So I was there to report on that stuff. And it was kind of fun. So I get this information director from SAC headquarters. And I'm stationed at Fort Worth, Texas at a SAC base. And it said wanted volunteers to go to journalism slash broadcasting school in Indianapolis. You got to pass a written test and a verbal test. You had to, you know, do a script on on tape. So I did, long story short, I got in and I had to go to school for six weeks. We spent two weeks in journalism, two weeks in radio, two weeks in television. And you know going in that when you graduate, if you graduate, You had to have at least an 80 average every two weeks. Otherwise, they kicked you out of school. And I don't mean 79.9. I mean 80. 80 is 80. Yeah. So uh, 55 went in, 26 of us came out. What are you talking about, roughly? We're talking about uh, 68. Okay. So 69, I'm sorry. And so – I go to the school, and after school, the Army guys got their their orders right away. It's all remote or isolated bases around the world. So the Army guys and the Marines all got their orders right away. I had to wait until I got back to my base to get my orders, and two weeks later, I get my orders saying that I'm going to Tripoli, Libya, which is a wonderful assignment when you're Jewish. (laughs) So... (laughs) No, I... The guy that I worked with, a guy in, at Carswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth, who had just come back from that base in North Africa, and he gave me all the lowdown. He said, you know, here's, This is going on, that's going on, and I'll set you up with some people that really help you in terms Perfect. of civilians. So, did, did that one really of them go Delhi? What's that? Did one of them go to Delhi? No, no. Most of the people that went there, the civilians were uh, in the oil business. Okay. obviously. Yep. So I spent, I uh, supposed to spend 15 months there. Only Muammar Gaddafi had other ideas. And I left after 13 and a half months when they asked us politely oh to leave. Oh my God. Wow. Now so in the meantime, I'm sending out tapes all over the country. I sent out about 50 to 60 tapes. But most of the concentration of the tapes I sent out was in the East Coast. Okay. I knew I wasn't going to break into New York. I didn't think I was going to break into Philadelphia or Boston. So I just took a shot and just picked out stations that um, were music stations that maybe had some sports. And of the 60 tapes I sent out, I got about 10% return. Okay. Got about six six tapes back with letters saying, when you get out, call us. Very nice. So I got, I got a, uh, a, uh, an interview with a station in Hempstead, Long Island, which was great because it was right near where I lived. That worked out great, and it was a, like a, it was like a, a station that carried music like you hear in a doctor's office.
0: <laughs> okay? So elevator FM?:
1: Yeah, pretty much. And uh-huh. uh, they offered me a job doing news, okay. at the top of the hour. So I understand, Jonah, I'm making 97 dollars a month in the Air Force.
0: Right. Thank this guy you for offered your service, a, by the way.
1: Yeah, this guy offered me $115 a week. Wow. Now, I'm a, a young, young married guy with an infant daughter. And uh, I said, okay. I said, can I call you tomorrow? He said, yes. In the meantime, I get a phone call from a guy who owned a radio station in Princeton, New Jersey. Okay. And he said, have you taken a job yet? I said, no, I've been offered a job at Hempstead, Long Island at WHLI. And he said... Have you accepted? I said, not yet. I told him I'd call him tomorrow. He said, well, can you come see me before you accept the job? And I said, okay. I drove down to Princeton, which was about an hour drive, and met with the guy. And it was an AM-FM combination. The FM was, it was an easy listening station. No, the yeah, the FM was an easy listening station. The AM was popular music at the time, like The Fifth Dimension, Neil Diamond, uh, stuff like that. Okay. And... I saw the opportunity was going to be greater there because I like where the stations were going, both of them. And I remember I said I was offered $125 a week in Long Island. Mm -hmm. This guy offered me $130. So I went for the big money. Of course. I took took the job in Princeton, New Jersey. And I didn't regret it because um, I'm doing news there. And about three months into my time, the owner calls me down to his office and says, we're going to fire the morning man, the disc jockey. You have experience. I was good morning Tripoli. You heard a good morning Vietnam. Yeah. So I was good morning Tripoli. Okay. And he said, we're going to fire the morning man. Uh, you have experience. I've heard your tapes. Why don't you come do the show? And he bumped me up from $130 to $150 a week. Nice. And I said, is that, I said, is that every week? <laughs> <laughs> so he said, yes. And that's, you know, really, it started for me there. And, you know, from there I went into sales I, in addition to doing the morning show. And I uh, got a chance to do Princeton football and basketball, which was really great for me because it was live play by play. And that's really what I wanted to do. And
0: back then, um, when, you were, when you were at these, when you were doing morning radio, what, how to it compare to the shtick, if you will, of today? How much of it was just straight hosting and how much of it was having to do bits when when did that whole thing start
1: well actually it started before i got into it because uh when i came home on leave when my daughter was born my wife was five months pregnant when i went over to tripoli so when when she gave birth i took leave and went back to see my new baby daughter and in the meantime i called a guy that i had heard about at wabc in new york and I said, I'm in the service right now, getting out probably within a year, but I'd like to come see you. Excuse me. Yep. <clears throat> I'd like to come see you. So he said, okay. He was the um, uh, uh, program director at WABC in New York. So I went there, sat with him, and we talked for a little bit. He says, I like the sound of your voice and so on and so on. Uh, I brought some tape so he could hear it. He goes, you're a little rough. He says, but you know, the basics are there. Okay. He gave me a tape, a real tape of WABC's jingles, and I took him back to Tripoli with me, and we edited them to fit Armed Forces Radio when we had a New York City sound at an Armed Forces Radio station. But we did bits, and we did we carried on and, and did some stuff. It, you know, we weren't restricted, uh, just as long as he didn't use any colorful words. Right.
0: So, you. Um... You did that for a while and then you graduated with all due respect to the pros and you started doing some really interesting play-by-play work in um i believe basketball and uh certainly football
1: yeah um i went to work um while i was working in princeton i got very lucky a guy who's a princeton grad was working for cbs radio network he was a production guy and he heard me and told his boss, who ran CBS Radio Network, a guy named Frank Miller, who has since passed away. And this guy David called me and he said, Frank Miller wants you to come in for an interview. Can you do that? I said, I'll be there in an hour, two hours, whatever. And I met with the the guy at CBS Radio. He said, I'm looking to fill a slot on the weekends for you to do Sports Central USA. They were five minute sports programs, updates. So I had three on Saturday and three on Sunday, um, in, in the early evening, and it was great because I got to use. You know, we were using sound bites and right. and so on, and I had to write my own stuff. Yeah. So that gave me a start at CBS Radio, and it led me into. He, they offered me uh, to go cover um, the the Masters Golf Tournament at Augusta. That was my first opportunity to do that. Was 1986? Great year because. Jack Nicholas won at Augusta at the age of 46, which was incredible. Yep. So then uh, from there, they have me cover the US Open Tennis Tournament in New York. And then uh, I had a, a football background cut doing Princeton. So they gave me a chance to do five um, NFL games for the radio network. For the Jets? Uh, no, not for the Jets. This is, for, this is a network. Um, they were national right. games. Okay. So I ended up doing like five games the first year, I ended up doing eight games the second year. And bang, out of nowhere, my boss calls me and says, um, uh, Jim Nance is moving on uh, to television. Uh, he was doing Sunday Night Football. We'd like to put you in that slot with Pat Hayden. I said, done. Right. So I worked with Pat for eight years doing Sunday Night Football. And with that, uh, it evolved into Monday Night Football when Jack Buck and Hank Stram uh, retired, and I started doing those games with Matt Millen.
0: How, just as an aside, how, are you in touch with Matt Millen? How's he doing these days?
1: He's doing great. Uh, okay. Matter of fact, I talked to him within the last two weeks. He was on my podcast. Um, before, when, when Matt was diagnosed, he needed a heart transplant. Right. They brought him to a hospital in Newark, New Jersey, which is forty minutes, thirty minutes up the road from where I live. So I went up to the hospital to see him, and he looked the same to me, you know. Right. Uh, he was eating, so that was a good thing. He said he felt okay, but he knew what the, what had to be done. So they had he had to wait for heart. And bang, uh, one day he got the word that today's going to be the day. And he's doing great. Uh, he, he's kind, con- you know. He's constantly being checked and by the doctors, but he's hanging in there. He's doing well, and he's he's back to working. Is he? Yeah, he's back doing some college football for ESPN.
0: Oh, that's good to hear. I uh, I was living in Detroit while he was with the Lions.
1: Oh boy!
0: know <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think anyone ever doubted that he had a heart. There were a lot of people in Detroit who weren't sure about a brain, but. Uh... Those are some dark days.
1: No, and I, I understand that. And we talked about it. Uh, we talked about it. Actually, the year before he got the job, Mr. Ford Sr. offered him the presidency. Yeah. And Mr. Ford Jr. talked his father out of it. Right. And so he didn't get the job. So he comes into the booth on a Monday night before a game late in the season. He goes, I've been offered the Lions job by Bill Jr., and I'm going to take it. And I said, You're sure? He said, "Yeah." I said, "Okay." You have to understand, Matt. Matt, when when he was doing broadcasting, he was really good. No, he was very good. He was really good. I mean, he was John Madden's disciple. Yep. Yeah. So when when he was doing games, at the end of the night, he'd get up and leave the booth, and he didn't win or lose, and he hated that. He was a competitor. So that's one of the reasons why he went to the Lions. um, To take over as president and by his own admission he'll tell you that uh he listened to too many people when he got the job he didn't trust his own instincts he listened to everybody that gave him advice he listened to it and he made his decisions in drafting and so on based on what other people were telling him and that was that was his undoing
0: right well it's good to hear he's doing well um like like nobody goes into jobs like that hoping to fail So it's unfortunate when it doesn't work out as famously as that one didn't. Um, So when did you start doing, so you're doing national games, big national games. Uh, I understand you did the Super Bowl. uh, Your first Super Bowl was the Patriots versus the Packers. Right. I was actually at that game.
1: Yeah, 1996 in New Orleans. Yeah, remember it well. And Matt and I worked that game. It was the first Super Bowl I ever did. There's, There's an interesting story attached to that game. Uh, I'm a big guy about preparation and I subscribe to what John Wooden once said, that failure to prepare is preparing to fail. And so preparation was always a big thing for me, that 70% of the job was done before you came into the booth. So I was prepared. I went into the stadium, we walked over from our hotel on Bourbon Street, and Matt liked to go down on the field before the game and so did I. I said, you know what, I'm going to go put my stuff upstairs and get some coffee and I'll, I'll be down. I Went upstairs, put my stuff in our booth, and then walked down the hallway to find an empty booth that I could just sit and gather my thoughts because it wasn't that I was nervous. I was anxious for my first Super Bowl. So I'm sitting in, the, in this room and the door opens and Paul Tagliabue, the commissioner of the NFL, walks in. And he knew me. He said, uh, Howard, what are you doing? I said, just collecting my thoughts, just sitting here, relax. He goes, "Uh, well, you know, this is a commissioner's box. I said, no, I didn't, but, you know, I'll leave. He goes, no, stay where you are. I'm going to go get some coffee. You want one? I said, that'd be great. At that time, maybe two minutes later, Val Pinchback, who was head of broadcasting for the NFL, walked into the booth and he said, Howard, what are you doing here? I said, just collecting my thoughts and, well, you know, it's a commissioner's box. I said, I know, Paul Tagliabue was just here. But he'll be back in a minute. Just then Tagliable walks in with two cups of coffee, puts one <laughs> down in front of me, <laughs> and, and keeps going for himself. And Pinchback looks at me and he says, man, I didn't realize you had that kind of juice. <laughs> you got the commissioner getting your coffee? So that was the, my introduction of my first Super Bowl. And and we had, a, I mean, to me, it was exciting. I mean, I knew, I knew Bill Parcells since 82 when he was a defensive coordinator with the Giants. So I went down on the field. He was coaching the Patriots at yeah. that time. And that I was went the last the one, wasn't
0: it? That's when he. That's when he pulled the ripcord.
1: Correct. And so I, I, um, I went down on the field to join Matt, and he's talking to Parcells. I came over, and Bill gave me a big hello, and we're talking, and so on, and so on, and so on. He says, and he knew me well. He said, "This is your first Super Bowl, isn't it?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "Don't blankety blanket up." Uh huh. You can
0: use that <laughs> word here. It's fine.
1: <laughs> that's right. Nah, I'm uncomfortable doing that. That's so fine. I said, <clears throat> so he laughed, I laughed, Matt laughed, and we all laughed. He says, Yeah, Brett, Brett Farr's pretty good quarterback. I said, No, he's better than pretty good. He's really good. Yeah. We never expected that, you know, the star of the game was going to be Desmond Howard with that great kickoff return of about 97 yards. Yeah. And that was the play of the game. After it's over, Joan, I'm telling you, I am spent emotionally. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I got, I listened to a guy told me a long time ago, If you, the name Merle Harmon mean anything to you? Say it again. Merle Harmon. Merle Harmon. I don't think he was so. an NBC broadcaster. He did a lot of the, the old AFL games. Okay. And I worked, I did sidelines for Merle a couple of times early on in my career, and he gave me a lot of lessons. He said, prepare for everything, but if you use more than 20% of what you've prepared, you've spoken way too much. That was his great advice. And so game is over and I'm done. My wife and my daughter were at the game. And we walked back to the hotel on Bourbon Street and our boss at CBS said, we're going over to the House of Blues to, to watch the, um, the music. They, I forget the brothers. Um, Blues uh, Brothers. Who? Blues Brothers. Well, the Blues Brothers were there. Uh, Aykroyd and Belushi yeah. were there. Yeah. But the, the band that played there, they lived in New Orleans, uh, 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 Neville, the Neville brothers.
0: Okay.
1: And so we got, to, we got to sit in this VIP section like right above the stage, overlooking the stage. And I'm listening to this music and it's great and we're having a great time and I looked to my right and who's standing there but Denzel Washington. And I looked at him and I said, hey, didn't you used to be? He said, no, I still am. And we had this great conversation. (laughs) One thing leads to another. He he says, you know, where are you from? Uh, I just told him I just broadcast my first Super Bowl game for CBS Radio. And he goes, I'm a big football fan. I said, oh, really? So we spent the next half hour talking football.
0: That's awesome. I, uh, I always thought that New Orleans should actually, this is probably, shouldn't be said, but I always thought that New Orleans should lose the Saints and it should just be the official home of the Super Bowl it's such a great place to host the game
1: oh yeah you're right
0: but then chris berman said to me yeah it's not so great for those of us with wives and kids
1: no i understand (laughs) i understand but uh i I think hey there's only one major event that's held in the same place every year and that's the masters right (laughs) you know i'm okay with that idea because i did two Super Bowls in new orleans but i also did one in atlanta i did one in san diego i did one um, in Fort, in Miami, uh, so uh, it, it's it's still a Super Bowl, and it's still the main event.
0: And, yeah, and it's great going to, and it's great theater, uh, even when the game's not great. Let's, I'll uh, let you take a break here for a second. Although um, sports aren't being played right now, people still do like to wager, and there are, are in fact, things we can bet on, um, including eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, God help us. And uh, yes, there are poker series as well. I think I heard today, excuse me, some, some European soccer is coming back as well. I think they got clearance today to start
1: playing. Could and be. Play. And I think some golf tournaments coming as well. Um, well, the PGA is supposed to go in, June. I want to say it? August. I thought something was starting in June.
0: Anyways, there's lots oh, of you might might be right, money, hon. Yeah, you might um, be right. And uh, my friends at betonline.ag Uh, are happy to give you a little bump for your first bet. So if you go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100, they'll top up your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. So tell you a funny story. 1997, I got into law school down in Miami. And uh, you're not going to like for a second where I'm going on this, but I'm driving down to law school one morning, and I had had on WQAM, which I believe was – 560 and i had been listening on the way down uh i think the guy's name was joe rose i think he was the morning
1: guy or one of the morning guys there were three there were three so
0: rose and i don't remember who the other two were steve
1: goldstein and um and oh my
0: god goldstein wasn't on the mornings then because he was doing panther games but
1: he was doing he was on the mornings at the time with joe rose and i'll tell you why i know um i'm trying to think of the third guy oh my goodness I, i forgot the third guy
0: And it was actually a pretty good Uh, show. Jeff
1: Jeff DeForest. That's it, Jeff Jeff DeForest. DeForest. And uh, when I was doing that, I was doing a Super Bowl game in Miami. uh, Jeff DeForest got himself into a little trouble um, with mail fraud. Uh, That's a federal offense, and he was arrested. And uh, they were looking. So I, I I agreed to do an interview. With Joe Rose and Steve Goldstein gotcha? Um, on, on the morning show, uh, and apparently the general manager uh, was listening to the interview, and out of nowhere, the program director calls me and said, uh, "The general manager heard your interview. he'd like you to come in and talk to us." I said, "About what?" <laughs> About what?" He said, "Well, we're looking for uh, a lead host for our morning show, and he liked what he heard from you. And wanted to know if you'd be interested. You want to come here and talk to us about it. And I said, uh, all right. And I wasn't living down there then, right. So I agreed for a televi- a telephone interview with their program director. And one thing led to another, and uh, Greg Reed was the name of the general manager, yep. and he uh, he called me. He Said I-, I like the byplay between you and Joe Rose and Goldstein. You know why don't you come down here. You know, we'll, we'll we'll book a ticket for you you come down here. So I did and they offered me a job and I said uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to tell you you have to speak to my agent because I don't I don't negotiate, right? Something and better than 150
0: okay. bucks a week, I hope.
1: It you know, was a little bit more than that. So he um he said, "Okay, give me your agent's name and 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 have him call me." I said, "Okay." And I was just getting ready to this was t- I know the exact year because it was uh when the um it was 2002 the winter olympics were in salt lake city
0: yep
1: so i was doing it for cbs radio i was doing the super bowl for cbs radio so i was going to go from the super bowl to the olympics work there for a couple of shows and then fly to hawaii do the pro bowl okay and then after the pro bowl fly back to salt lake city and finish up the olympics That was my schedule for like that two-week period. In the meantime, I'm getting calls from my agent saying, they've offered you this. And I said, what? (laughs) That's New York money, man. That's a lot of money. He goes, I can get more. And I said, okay, George, do whatever you got to do. He called me at 5 o'clock in the morning Hawaii time because it was 9 o'clock in the morning in New York Right. or 10 o'clock, whatever. He said, here's what they've offered. I can get you more, but I think you ought to take it. So I did.
0: So so 1997, I was driving down to law school, and I hear those guys on, and I go to my class, and now I'm driving home, and some guy comes on, and I literally almost drove off the side of the road. The the things that were coming out of Neil Rogers, I I, I know you don't care for him. We talked about it off air. But man, he had me laughing. The the, the sound bits he was playing uh, of certain people were just so outrageous. They were hilarious. I mean, you, he was clearly nuts, um, but that really got me hooked on the station. It, it brought me in, and and listening to the morning show, and then listening to Neil, um, and then they had Hank in the afternoons. What was it like working with those with the, that cast of characters?
1: Well, I knew Hank before, right? I ran into him in the in the NFL circle, so I, I knew who he was. Matter of fact, when I was offered the job and elected to take the job, I called him right. I said, "Hank, I'm coming down to QM." He goes, I heard rumors about that. Is it factual? I said, no, it's done. But I wouldn't say anything on the air, OK? Right. Just do me a favor. <laughs> uh-huh. So he, he kept his word and he didn't do it. Okay. Um, he said, um, you know, I'm glad to have you here, so on and so on and so on. So when I took the job, I was still the voice of the Jets. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't do this. I can't do talk in Miami and, be the and voice do of the, the jets. jets broadcast. The people down in Miami are going to kill me. Right. Because they hate the Jets. Yep. So I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it, talked it over with my wife, and I called. Bobby Parenti was the head of, of communications for the Jets. Uh, and I called Bobby and I said, Bobby, I, I got this job offer. I'm probably going to take it, and I need you to let me out of my last year of my contract with the Jets because I think it would be difficult Yes. for me to do radio in Miami and do the Jets broadcast. I'm going to get annihilated in, my, in South Florida. He goes, I don't, you know, if you really need to do this, I, I won't hold you back, but you could stay here forever. I'll give you a, a 20-year contract. And I said, no, Bobby, it's great. I appreciate that. But I, I, I got it. I'm going to take this job. It's too much for me to pass up. Okay. So he let me out of my contract. And uh, I started, I want to say I started uh, maybe in March, and the football season didn't start until September. So- Football season never ends in, in Miami. But... No, you're right. You're right. It's Dolphins 24-7, 365 it's like days Like the Seahawks
0: a year. here in Seattle.
1: Yeah. But when I took the job and quit the Jets, uh, Harvey Green was the head of uh, PR for the Miami Dolphins. And Harvey and I were friends. And he called me and said, did I hear you just leave the Jets? I said, Yeah. He says, you want to come do our games? And I said, well, you got a guy. He goes, no, his contract is up and he commutes from Pennsylvania and we want somebody who's living here. And I said, he said, come in and talk to uh, Eddie Jones, the president, and, and he has to give you the kiss of death. I said, okay. So I went and talked to Eddie and I said, based on a, agreeing with my agent, uh, I, I'm excited to come here and do the Dolphins. But from March to the season started in September, the fans were beating me up mercifully on QAM. <laughs> but, you know, I played with him. I had some fun with it. Of course.
0: But you got to work with the mad dog, Jim Mandich.
1: Right.
0: And he, he, in terms of a color guy, he was pretty colorful. The things that would come out of I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it certainly sounded like he was enjoying a few cocktails during the game sometimes, whether he was or he wasn't. But he was certainly colorful. You know, talking about his, his grand old days at Michigan, you know, being part of the undefeated team, but but if in my mind, when you talk about what makes an effective color commentator, especially in live sports, man, he nailed it. He he really brought it to life.
1: Now he referred to it as Michigan. That's right. <laughs> now Jimmy was great to work with. Uh, I used to get a kick at him because he would come into the booth and wallpaper the side wall with rehearsed ad libs,
0: things he'd like he'd practiced his bits.
1: Yeah, he had like one-liners written down. Uh, and so, you know, every situation fit a line or a line fit a situation. But no, he was, was a great guy. To, he was, a, uh, he, he was a, a great guy to work with because uh, he made fun of himself and, and we had a good rapport and it, it worked out well.
0: Well, it was, uh, even to this day, my kids who never heard him, they know whenever we're watching a, a game and the Dolphins are on if they score they all belt out with a mandage. All right, Miami. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's fantastic.
1: You know, my, my granddaughter just graduated from Michigan so Oh, congratulations. Uh, yeah, she but unfortunately like everybody else, they didn't have Actually certain to find a have, job and there's no yeah, Well, she got a job. Oh, Got a job in New York City, which is even better. Wow. Uh so but she's um uh, she's a great student. She's a 3.9 grade point average, really smart. And I'm delighted that she's going to be working where my wife and I can see her.
0: Oh, that's excellent. So you see that uh, Tony Romo, I mean, it's TV, so it's different. Tony Romo signed a, a fairly large, significantly bigger than $150 a week contract recently. Barely. There's, and when you saw that, what do you think?
1: Um, You know, I worked, I did net New Jersey Nets games. My last two years doing the Nets, Chuck Daly was a head coach and Chuck had a famous saying. Chuck would say, it's not what you're worth, it's what you can negotiate for. And it applies to Romo. Romo had, if you're lucky, Jonah, in your life, you're gonna have leverage one time. Yeah. Romo had leverage. The ESPN wanted him, they were willing to pay, you know, handsomely for him. And CBS didn't want to lose him because with the rights package that they're negotiating for with the league, they wanted their best guy. Uh, look, I think Romo does a good job. And whatever he's making, I had Nance on, Jim Nance on, two days ago on my podcast. And I said, Jimmy, I, um, I don't know if you need it, but if you're looking to borrow money, I know where you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, for first of all, where, where can people find your podcast? Uh, we have it. It's on Twitch TV. Okay. And it's also on Believe. Excellent. Okay.
0: And we're on Believe here too. Um, so as a veteran of radio, as we sit here today, and, you know, we both know Don Collins and, and I had Don on earlier this week. I'm told, I didn't know this, by the way, I'm told that if you buy a Tesla now, it doesn't even come with an AM radio. Really? Yeah, I did not know that. Uh, might have been Don who told me that. Um,
1: What do you think the future of talk radio is? That's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, I think that it's endless because of the fact that the one thing people talk about, well, my first boss in radio gave me advice. He said, don't talk about two things, religion and politics, because there's not a right answer to either question. Uh, but in talk radio, you're entitled to your opinion, um, and the callers they want to jump on you for your opinion, and they want to agree with you for your opinion, and they want to give you their opinion. And so you it, it, look as long as there's as long as there's sports, and hopefully we're going to get back to it sooner than later. But there's there's always a, there's always room to discuss who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Uh, Who's the greatest running back of all time? Who's, and as long as you have that kind of conversation, you are taking the conversation in the bar with your buddies to the radio, and it works. And
0: if you had to call just one event, any sport, what event would you like to do?
1: Well, I did six Super Bowls, so I would say that. Yeah, uh, Six Super Bowls, uh, never broadcast a World Series, but... Went to a couple of World Series games, uh, Yankees, Braves in New York. um, Went to a World Series game. It was Atlanta and Minnesota. And understand, when I grew up in Brooklyn, one of my idols was Vin Scully. Yep. So I'm doing a football game. I'm doing Georgia, Georgia Tech in Athens, Georgia. And it's a car ride to Atlanta. So my wife and I went from the game I did earlier that day to to get – to CBS, uh, got me an opportunity to get in the booth, the CBS radio booth, because they were doing the games. And Scully was working with Johnny Bench. So I walked into the booth, and now I'm an adult, father of two. (laughs) I've seen a lot of things. I walk into the booth, I couldn't take my eyes off Vin Scully. I mean, he's like a hero. That's amazing. Yeah, so I walk in, and and, uh, my boss, Frank Murphy, introduces me to Vin and Johnny Bench. And I said, "Then, uh, this is huge for me because I was a Brooklyn Dodger fan as a little boy. And to meet you now is a dream. And I, uh, I, I just can't tell you how, how big this is. And he goes, well, I really appreciate it. I said, I would say it was the second biggest thing that's happened to me. He goes, well, what was the first? I told you before I was going to school at night uh, in, in college and going to work during the day. And I'm walking down uh, Lexington Avenue and 43rd Street in Manhattan, where Grand Central Station is, yep. and across the street is chock full of nuts. There was a famous Brooklyn Dodger that worked at Chock Full of Nuts by the name of Jackie Robinson.
0: I think I see his picture over your right shoulder.
1: Exactly. So I'm walking down the street and he comes walking out of chock full of nuts. Now you have to understand, there's this larger-than-life man, full head of gray hair, and as he walks by me, I'm staring at him, and I don't say a word. As he's got 10 feet down the street, I go, you idiot, you got a chance to meet your hero. I ran after him and I, I said, excuse me, Mr. Robinson, I had to meet you because when I was growing up in Brooklyn, you were my hero. I wore 42 with my baseball jersey. I wore 42 playing football. I wore 42 playing basketball. You were my hero. You know, he stood there for a half an hour talking to me. That's all. Awesome. The streets of Manhattan. And as I said, well, you know, I, I gotta go, but and you do too. But he goes, well, do you want me to sign something? I'm looking around. What the hell do I got? I went in my pocket. I come out with a dollar bill. Uh-huh. He signs a dollar bill to me, Jackie Robinson. And it's in a glass enclosed case in my office that I cherish it because fantastic. this guy was larger than life. They also came from a different era, right? Well, yeah. I mean, he came. You know, he's uh, April. April fifteenth is you know Jackie Robinson broke in. A, he broke the color barrier in 1947 um, when, oh my good, and he wasn't even the best place baseball player in the Negro leagues. You know, Josh Gibson was better, uh, Satchel Paige was bigger. Right. But Robinson was a college man at UCLA. And that's what Branch Rickey saw, a guy that could take the punishment, the you know, the razzing from the crowd. And he thought Robinson was smart enough to handle it.
0: It was a great movie. Great, oh. great great movie. Loved it. So are you still a sports fan?
1: Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, I, have, um, I mean, I root for the New York football teams. Uh, I root for the Jets primarily because my grandson's 14 and he cries when they lose, which means he cries a lot. Cries a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But my daughter has season tickets to the Jets, so, um, you know, we we root for the Jets. Obviously, I did them, so I got a soft spot in my heart for the Jets. Hope they win. I I root for the Giants too. Uh, My dream is to see the Giants play the Jets in the Super Bowl and I hope to live to see it. And?
0: And, But I'm a Atlanta
1: Braves fan. Oh, okay. And that makes no
0: sense to you, does it? <laughs> uh, whatever. Like, listen, we all grew, we grew up with, with different influences in our life and different players that we liked. And I never really questioned allegiances. You know, fan is short for fanatical, right?
1: Well, when the Dodgers left Brooklyn, I'm a little kid. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to root for the Dodgers anymore. Now I hope they lose 162 games a year. So I'm looking for another team. Hank Aaron appealed to me. So I started rooting for the Braves because of Hank Aaron. And then shortly thereafter, a guy from my neighborhood made the Braves by the name of Joe Torrey. So that's the genesis of why I root for the Braves. Gotcha.
0: And if given the, ch- like, if given the chance, would you like to call games still?
1: That's a good question. Um, I've done them for over 40 years. At one time during an eight-year stretch, I was doing um, a local football team either the Jets or the Dolphins. I was doing either Sunday night or Monday night football. uh, And I was doing an NBA team, whether it was the New Jersey Nets, the Milwaukee Bucks or the Boston Celtics. So I figured that in those eight years, I did about 140 games in 180 days, and that didn't include the traveling. Mm -hmm. So I I think I've had enough, uh, I suppose, For old time's sake, I'd like to go into the booth one time and do a game. Okay.
0: Um, Last question, I think. Um, If you think about sports going back without fans, I think about hockey because it's near and dear to my heart. There's enough noise there in the barn, so to speak, the blades on the ice, you know, the whistle. There's enough noise there to make it not so awkward. I think about basketball, kind of the same thing. You got the, the bouncing of the ball, the squeak of the sneakers. How are the, what are they going to do in football You're, and, and baseball? You're going to hear every word out of every mouth that these guys utter, should they ever play without, stand, without fans.
1: Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, and maybe it's short term, at least we can hope. Right. Uh, because, uh, you know, it's, let's face it. I mean, the, the players feed off the fans.
0: So do the umpires.
1: Uh, Yeah, (laughs) right. So, I mean, in baseball, as an example, uh, there's no fans. There's no, there's no enthusiasm. There's no excitement in football, obviously, when you have 60 to 80,000 people, depending on the stadium. Uh, In hockey, obviously, it's enclosed basketball. I mean, I heard LeBron James saying that something about initially that he wouldn't want to play if there's no fans. But I think, you know he's he's a pretty smart guy. Yeah, I think what he now would, is hoping for, you know, let's let's get it on, and hopefully uh, we'll get back to whatever this. But I think it's going to be a new normal. I don't think what we had what we've seen is going to be what we're going to see um, because we've had to make a serious adjustment, all of us, in our lives, and it's not going to be easy, but we'll find some way.
0: It's funny because the this is an add-on question, so it doesn't count as another one. <laughs> um, so much is said today, and in my mind, the best play-by-play broadcasters are the ones who find the balance on when it's right to speak and when it's right to shut up and kind of let the moment speak for themselves. It's going to be hard to do that with no ambiance.
1: Yeah, it's, that's a fair point. Uh, but What you said is completely correct. I mentioned the 2002 Winter Olympics uh, and I'm working for CBS Radio right across the hall is NBC uh, and Bob Costas is anchoring their Olympic coverage. And Bob and I knew each other before. So we used to meet out in the hall when he was on a break, I was on a break. And my wife was with me as well. And we spent a lot of time talking about a lot of things. And he said, I said, how do you evaluate today's broadcasters? And he said uh, something that's very profound. He said, today's broadcasters, not all, but some, think that loud is better. Yep. And all it is is loud. Yep. And Bob was on my podcast last week, and I brought this subject up again, and he said, my feeling hasn't changed. Agreed.
0: I I totally agree. I, I just, I wonder what... I think it's going to be a much harder balance when there's silence, if you will, in the background. Sure. Real silence.
1: Yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be very tough. But, you know, we're uh, no, no one saw this coming. Um, it could have been this disaster could have been much less had it been acted upon earlier when there were signs. And it wasn't. Why? I don't know. But... That's a subject that, I, that we, we can't get into because there's, there's divided opinions on it. Yes.
0: A, a wise man not that long ago said to me on this very show, I was once told not to talk about politics so, so, or religion. So here we are.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. And, and it's, it's absolutely true, particularly in this environment. But look, I don't know. Um,
0: I just, I'll, I, just, I'll finish. I just don't think. I, I see this all the time. I don't think this is the right time for the postmortem yet. There'll be plenty of time to figure out the who, what, where, and what could we have done different. Right now, we got to focus on getting ourselves out of this with as, as few casualties as, as humanly possible.
1: Yeah, and I think what we need to do is listen to Dr. Fauci, listen to uh, Sanjay Gupta, uh, the guys, that are the scientists, the, the experts, the doctors, they know what's going on. That's right.
0: Well, I hope you and yours stay healthy. I hope I can have you back on when uh, we do get back to whatever normal looks like. Let's call it the resumption of sports, but this was really fun. I I really enjoyed uh, getting to know you a little bit.
1: Thanks, John. I appreciate giving me this time. All right.
0: Take care.